We believe pharmacists are the hub of healthcare and our favorite providers. We know it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and forget that we went into pharmacy to make a difference. And we really do make a difference, even with the smallest decisions. That's why I want to tell you about Ultimed's Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, a pen needle product that makes real, tangible change possible for our patients in the communities we serve. UltiGuard Safe Pack Pen Needles are an FDA-cleared product that provides 100 premium pen needles in a sharps container, all in one convenient package system. When you dispense the UltiGuard Safe Pack, you protect families and your community from sharps injuries, and you remove medical waste from the environment. To learn more, visit altiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. That's altiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. When you dispense the Altiguard Safe Pack, you choose positive change. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm Ken Perez, OmniCell Vice President of Healthcare Policy and Government Affairs. And I'm your host. Join host Ken Perez, OmniCell Vice President of Healthcare Policy, for conversations with industry innovators, healthcare peers, and internal OmniCell experts sharing practical advice, personal experience, and the best practices for technology-driven medication management in the quest for zero errors. Alan was just sharing about the importance of connecting those disparate systems and getting everything to talk and being interoperable in order for us to really achieve the fully autonomous pharmacy. The Future of Pharmacy podcast presented by OmniCell is for health system pharmacists who are tech curious, looking for ways to improve operations, outcomes, and safety, and ultimately gaining a better understanding of the future of pharmacy. Subscribe to the Future of Pharmacy podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. pandemic has been an important reminder of the power of vaccines to protect people against serious illness resulting from this life-threatening virus that we've all experienced. It's, it's unprecedented. Uh, it's unprecedented for our generation and generations ahead of us and below us in, in understanding the impact that vaccines have on our, on our culture, on our societies, and the importance of local pharmacists to administer these life-saving immunizations has has been, uh, in some ways, it's been tiresome to see what our pharmacists are going through and the pressure that they're under. But on the other hand, I can't help but to be so proud of what our pharmacists have done in our communities. And um, I, that's why I do what I do. Um, my name is Todd Urie. I'm the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And today we have a special episode. Um, we're going to be talking about it, you know, upcoming in October, the ACIP will vote to determine if adults should be vaccinated against another deadly disease, and that is hepatitis B. And what I want to um, let everybody know on the Pharmacy Podcast Nation is please be interactive. If you hear this podcast and you want to reach out to either of our participants and guests today, please do so. And you can reach me at, at Pharmacy Podcast on any of our social media platforms. I can't 
I can't believe I have an opportunity to talk and to dig into this subject with subject matter experts and our go-to pharmacists that we've had on our network for some time. Michelle Sherman is the host of the Conscious Pharmacist podcast, and today she is our co-host. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Todd. It's a pleasure to be here and co-hosting with you. It's the first time we've co-hosted um, and, and not been either a guest or a participant. That's true. See how we're evolving. Uh, it's always changing. And we also have Catherine Stevenson. She's the Director of Corporate Strategy at Dynavax Technologies, which is a California-based biotechnology company, which has developed and commercialized a two-dose hepatitis B vaccine. Um, welcome, Catherine Stevenson, to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Thanks so much. Great to be here with both of you. So I'm going to start with uh, Catherine, since you're our guest today. Um, like I was saying before we started recording, Michelle is a podcast veteran, and we're recording this on International Podcast Day and how podcasts have become so popular. We started back in 2009, and my brother and my mother were my only listeners. And then after over years, we've now accumulated over almost 80,000 listeners that tap into the Pharmacy Podcast Network's um, sources of audio information. So we are so honored that you're here with us today, Catherine. Would you give us a little background of your role as Director of Corporate Strategy with Dynavax? Sure, happy to do that. Um, so, I mean, I get involved in a number of things in corporate strategy at Dynavax. I get asked a lot, um, you know, what do you do? Um, a lot of it is long-term strategy, um, but one thing I've been very involved in over the past uh, year or so has been our involvement with the ACIP process, looking at uh, a universal vote on hepatitis B vaccination. Obviously, that is you know, incredibly important to us as we're really passionate about protecting patients from hepatitis B um, and is a, you know, a strategic question as well. Um, and that's been really one of my main focuses over the past year. So, Michelle, you were probably aware of this, but we really never reached out to you until until just of lately, because I really wanted someone to dig into this that was part of our network and understood it. But can you kind of give our listeners uh, the stage setting of what the ACIP in the adult vaccination for hepatitis B is? Yes, th thanks so much, um... Todd. So this vaccine group, um, part of the CDC that um, decides on who are the best candidates um, to, to get vaccines. And I think the community at large has really been introduced to this group over the past six, six months and more with, with the COVID vaccines. So, you know, getting the vaccines approved, um, determining which groups um, should be vaccinated first, determining um, now uh, which groups um, would qualify for boosters, you know, the upcoming COVID vaccine, um, maybe emergency use and approval of, of the Pfizer vaccine for, for young children. Um, all that goes through this ACIP committee and they analyze all the scientific data that's available on, the, on these vaccines to, to determine what's appropriate. And not only appropriate for, does it work? Does it, is it effective and is it safe? But looking at it at, on a larger scale, on a public health scale, and that's the reason for all these vaccines. It's, it's 
they ought to protect oneself and protect one's immediate community um, from these deadly diseases like hepatitis B, like um, COVID-19, but also from a public health standpoint, because getting these vaccines approved for, for groups and getting them approved like universal, universally would be, um, you know, a great step in public health, especially against hepatitis B um, here in the United States. But looking at it like in a public health standpoint, to be able to actually put this recommendation forward, get that approval to eradicate these diseases. I mean, we were able to eradicate smallpox and we've had so much controversy over vaccines, not only in the past year, but you know, maybe over the past decade um, with a lot of like anti-vaccine type um, activities that, you know, getting recommendations like this is not only to protect oneself, one's community, but to protect all our communities. And until we can protect all our communities from diseases like this, because the CDC, the FDA, they don't approve vaccines that are not safe and effective. You, we're not going to make inroads in some of these viral diseases that we have. Um, just if, 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 if I may, you know, you asked this question about ASAP and I just want to make one other comment. You know, I, I, I'm an HIV specialist and been working with, with this mm -hmm. HIV pandemic since the beginning before there were even drugs to treat HIV. And they've been working for probably the last 40 years in trying to get a vaccine. And it's not until the innovations of the mRNA vaccine that now they're studying an mRNA HIV vaccine. And it's for the first time in 40 years of vaccine development and trials and trying for HIV that I, I feel some hope because of the success that we've had with mRNA and COVID. So, you know, I've, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, I think already, but, um, you, you, you know, this, this group, ASAP, is, is very important in determining you know, what vaccines um, and what vaccines get approved and for whom they're best indicated. Thank you for that. I want to ask you, Catherine, just based on the background that you have and understanding this bigger picture, let's talk about the policy. Let's talk about the policy shift by the ACIP uh, towards universal hepatitis B vaccinations for adults over the age of 19. Is this really needed? I mean, I think that's a, a great question. And, you know, I feel very strongly that it is needed. So just a bit of background, we have been very successfully vaccinating infants against hepatitis B since 1992, but adults that were born before then aren't protected by that strategy. And until now, the ACIP recommendation for protecting these adults has really focused on immunizing individuals that are at high risk of acquiring the disease. Um, and that's actually a fairly limited group of people. And the risk-based strategy just hasn't been working. Hep B infection rates have been on the rise in recent years, and 75% of adults remain unprotected. High-risk recommendations are just very difficult to implement. You know, I'm sure you can imagine that individuals may be reluctant to talk about engaging in risky behaviors 
and an age-based approach, which is what they're looking at uh, with a universal recommendation, really allows healthcare providers to remove that kind of stigma of conversations about risk behaviors and just focus on patient protection. And to kind of bring it back to, to the pharmacist, I mean, you know, as you said earlier, pharmacists are such vital healthcare providers as we've seen during the COVID pandemic even more than usual. And I think they have a huge opportunity to have an impact here. And this risk-based approach, I, I believe, really limits the ability to protect patients at the pharmacy, because without a specific diagnosis code, um, it's, it's hard to determine who is at risk. But with this universal recommendation, it'll be easy to offer the vaccine more readily. And the policy change could really help us hit the viral hepatitis goal to eradicate hep B by 2030. So Michelle, we're talking about the, you said ACIP, and I, so much alphabet soup in the world of, uh, of healthcare, but the ACIP, would a recommendation of the association help us to eliminate hep, hepatitis C, hepatitis B altogether? I think it would make great strides in in accomplishing that. Um, you know, as Catherine mentioned, you know, when when you don't have universal recommendations, then many providers and many patients are, you know, skittish to either ask for that um, vaccine or 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 that test, or providers don't recommend it, and there's there's no um, disease state like the HIV um, disease that has, has shown this more than anything else, you know, until the CDC recommended universal testing for everybody for HIV, um, you know, that made a huge difference because it's not a question of opting in or, or asking your doctor for an HIV test. If providers would just give it to people, we'd get more people tested and we can get more people on treatment and decrease that. The same with hepatitis B. You know, people don't want to talk, most people don't want to talk about their um, sexual encounters and kind of what they're doing or, you know, most providers don't even ask people those questions. And, you know, as Catherine mentioned, it's it's more of an older population that hasn't been, you know, universally immunized against um, hepatitis B because so many kids have to get, get it before, you know, before going to school, that people are more like in the closet about their activities and, and won't um, engage in those conversations with providers and vice versa. So I, th- I think it would make a huge difference. So let's shift to a current events question. And that is, we know for years and years and years, just in modern medicine, the vaccines work and, and what diseases have been eradicated or have shown up in such small um, levels uh, comparing to the population of of 300 and what is it, 310 or 320 million Americans that are out there. And I'm thinking of, you know, that we understand that babies are getting vaccines. It's accepted. It's part of um, uh, a modern, um, you know, culture of, of medicine and prevention. But Catherine, who's, when I think of that, you know, who's at the greatest risk that beyond 1992, for example, and then moving forward, who's at the greatest risk for hepatitis B and, and what is the significance or burden of the disease? No, that's a that's a good question, and I I think that's a really interesting discussion actually, because um, 
People at the greatest risk for Hep B have been identified by the CDC as those who could be exposed to infected blood or other fluids. You know, people like healthcare workers, sexual partners of those with Hep B, injecting drug users, hemodialysis patients. They've also identified greater risk in people with some certain medical diagnoses like diabetes, chronic liver disease. You know, as Michelle was saying, HIV as well is a, a really key area. But one one of the things that I found, you know, really interesting is that in recent CDC data, um, a risk behavior or exposure could only be identified in 25% of reported Hep B cases, and I think that's one of the reasons that a universal vaccination strategy is so desperately needed. Um, and when you look at the burden of disease, as many as you know, 2.4 million people in the U.S. are infected there is no cure. And infection is the leading cause of cirrhosis and liver cancer. You know, it can lead to the need for a liver transplant. Those are debilitating diseases and they take the lives of nearly 30,000 Americans annually. And it's a burden of disease that's entirely preventable. Michelle, you have patients that you've helped for years now and really kind of diving into their life and, and how things have occurred and what's happened in in their life for a multitude of reasons. And and you as a as a as a provider, as someone who is helping them not only from a medication management perspective, but literally from the mental health of all of this and the pressure that it puts on our patients that are suffering with certain diseases. Who's at greatest risk from your perspective, uh, Michelle? From from the, the the patients that that I see, um, they're they're all really at risk. Um, all the patients that I see and I put on prep every week um, are all at very high risk for um, hepatitis B acquisition. Um, they um, very sexually active. Um, they very oftentimes aren't using like condoms. That's why they they on prep. So we do STI testing every three months, and they they are at very very high risk for acquiring hepatitis B. So you know we constantly checking hepatitis panels all the time and um, checking pa uh, those patients. You know one thing that I've noticed that's very interesting over the last three weeks, I've seen some very young patients. Um, who I've initiated on PrEP and I always ask about vaccinations and they, about three of them have told me that they were immunized against hepatitis B when they went to school and the lab results come back non-reactive. So, you know, even though they've been immunized, these individuals are not showing um, antibodies that they've received the vaccine before. So we've got to, you know, re-engage in the, vac the vaccine co conversation and everything. And the, the other critical thing about hepatitis B in the patients that I see is um, the drugs we use, let's just talk about PrEP and HIV prevention. The drugs we use, um, Truvada or Descovy, those drugs are active and treatments for hepatitis B. So there's an extensive discussion about hepatitis B before somebody goes ahead and starts PrEP. And that's why we're always checking them for, um, you know, active hepatitis B infection if they haven't been immunized or they don't have any antibodies. Because if they are on PrEP and they do acquire hepatitis B, those drugs are treatments for hepatitis B. And if they abruptly stop their PrEP, 
they can get rebound flare-ups of the hepatitis. And we've actually had people in Orange County die from rebound flare-ups of hepatitis from um, you know, discontinuing their meds. And the, the same goes for HIV meds. So many of our HIV patients are co-infected with hepatitis B and the HIV regimen in, for many of these patients is controlling their hepatitis B as well. And that's why the adherence talk with so many of my HIV patients that are co-infected with hepatitis B is so critical because if they just stop their meds, they're going to get resistant HIV resistance. But it's very serious if they just stop their meds because um, they have hepatitis B as well, because again, they get a, can get a rebound flare up of hepatitis. And as I mentioned, you know, several people in Orange County have died because of um, those, those kind of um, behaviors just going off their meds. So it's a very lengthy, in-depth conversation that goes on with all the patients that I see. They are all at high risk. You know, the conversation that I have with, with my patients, whether it's for, for PrEP or PEP or for HIV treatment about hepatitis B is very, very serious and lengthy because I really need every patient to understand why it's important that they don't just stop their meds. If, if they co-infected with hepatitis B or if by chance they should get infected if they haven't been immunized. Thank you so much for expanding upon that and in the 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 parallel between patients that both of you see as that primary uh, demographic of of hepatitis B and the treatment and in the counseling and everything that goes into caring for those patients. Something else that is very impactful in this day and age is the innovation of these vaccines. Catherine, you have experience with that, with with being a, a director of corporate strategy with Dynavax, but also more specifically around this is that your, your company has developed and commercialized a two-dose hepatitis B vaccine. Can you talk about innovation for this specific disease state? Sure. Um, so, you know, for a long time, only three-dose vaccines were available for hepatitis B that take six months to complete. Um, what you know, we did was try to address two of the major problems we see with that. First of all, um, lower seroprotection rates, particularly in vulnerable populations who are hyper-responsive. So, you know, one example of that is patients with HIV. And then secondly, compliance rates. Um, you know, getting that third dose after six months can be a challenge. I mean, there was some recent research showing that only about 28% of those who start the three-dose series actually end up getting all three of those doses. And, you know, of course, vaccines only work if you actually get them. So, you know, we um, worked on this innovation, um, the hepatitis B vaccine that's two doses called Heplosav B. And we, in our studies, we've shown that it has statistically significantly higher seroprotection than the three dose. But also from a compliance standpoint, people are almost twice as likely to complete the two dose series. So, you know, pharmacists or other care providers can administer a vaccine that patients are more likely to return and complete. And they also get protected faster. I mean, you know, as Michelle said, um, you know, her patients in particular are highly at risk. And this is the opportunity to protect those patients in one month instead of having those additional five months where they potentially remain at risk. So I, I think it's a really uh, key innovation and, and could be key in 
the universal recommendation and in eliminating hepatitis B. Michelle, you have a intimate relationship with patients that have come and they trust you and they open up to you and they share things about their life that they're probably not sharing with other healthcare professionals or sometimes which can be you know, with the with the mental health aspect and behavioral health aspect of all of this, which gets compounded when we start uh, when patients start having these these chronic conditions, is is opening up to their providers. Um, and I'm wondering, how do you start a conversation with with your patients, with your customers about hepatitis B and and vaccine vaccination options? And, and that's that's really a great question, Todd. And I think, you know, for all the pharmacists that are listening and maybe other healthcare providers, building a relationship with your patients is is the key. You have to build that relationship and it has to be based on complete transparency and no judgment whatsoever. And when I have many patients that that come to me that have, you know, maybe been to other providers or other pharmacies or whatever, and had such negative experiences that it, it does it, it in many instances causes PTSD for people because the the mental and emotional stress of being judged and being you know singled out and stigmatized is 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 so traumatic. So building that relationship and building that trust is is crucial. And as the healthcare provider you have to be comfortable and prepared to have those, to, to ask those questions and have those conversations. You have to be able to talk about the patient's sexual activities, how they're doing it, what they're doing, and you know, explain the risks and why they're at risk for contracting HIV or hepatitis B or hepatitis C. And being able to have that open communication and have that conversation with the patient is is so important and when they feel comfortable with you they will engage in those conversations make you know seeing our pre patients who make recommendations for vaccines all the time if they haven't had had them if they're not immunized um, or they're not immune to hepatitis b is recommending that vaccine the hepatitis a vaccine um you know the the covid vaccine um, Gardasil for HPV, you know, any vaccine that, that, that would actually help prevent them from getting some kind of other, you know, illness that could compound, you know, what's going on with them already. So that's really important. You know, I want to make one other note when we were talking about, you know, patients at high risk for, for hepatitis B. And I was talking about all my patients with HIV and whatnot. You know, I'm from Orange County, California, and we have the biggest Vietnamese community in the United States um, in Orange County. And hepatitis B is endemic in, in Asia. And there's a very, very high percentage of the Vietnamese community here in California that has um, hepatitis B. It's between 8.8 and 13.8% in the community here in, um, in, in, in Orange County and, and in California. So, you know, for, for our communities that are at risk for hepatitis B acquisition, being able to treat those individuals that are infected with hepatitis B is one thing. And then for, for, for those that are not infected, 
providing, you know, easy access to a vaccine is is so important. And, you know, what really struck me is is what you said, Catherine, is like a three-dose vaccine that's taken over six months. So many patients don't come back for the second and third vaccine. Um, With HIV patients who are severely immunocompromised, sometimes they have to come back for more than three vaccines because they don't even gain immunity after the three vaccines. So having having a product that's a, a two dose for adherence will, I, I just from my experience, would show you know greater results than people getting one or two vaccines and not coming back for the third one. Thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate the the fact that you've shared with the listeners about your relationship with your patients and how important that is and how trust is an element of healthcare um, and empathy is an element of healthcare. I think of other facets of our, our communities throughout the nation. I think of those communities that are in those sparse rural areas that have pharmacy deserts or healthcare service deserts. Catherine, what from a strategy perspective, what has Dynavax done or positioned in order to partner either with small communities, state communities, federal level, kind of share uh, with listeners about what you can, what you can do today in, in pharmacists listening and reaching out to your organization uh, to do more for their own communities? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we, of course, always welcome, you know, new partnerships and, and new ways to help. I mean, one of our, you know, big focuses at the moment has been in starting to to prepare for the potential of a universal recommendation, um, because, you know, at the moment, there just isn't the funding to support that. So we've really been, you know, working with um, federal government to you know, make them understand the importance of of having that funding so people can have access to the vaccine. Um, We also do a lot of work with state governments to ensure that specifically the two dose is available to people who need it. Um, You know, as as Michelle said, it's a great option, especially in populations where there are compliance issues. And we do a lot of work to ensure that it's available, you know, through state government work, work with, you know, nonprofits like the Hepatitis B Foundation. Um, Another area, you know, we really focus on that I I was thinking about today because of Michelle's work in, in HIV is partnering with with researchers to generate continued data. Um, you know, we have a couple of, of studies that we uh, are funding ongoing around HIV um, and, you know, looking at compliance in, in HIV populations. So it's, it's really, um, we try to come at it from all different angles to just try and improve the patient experience and contribute to the elimination of hepatitis B. What would you like the listeners to hear? And you might be talking with pharmacy technicians, pharmacy owners, health system pharmacists, community pharmacy owners. Michelle, what can you kind of give them as advice as a, as a fellow pharmacist for this specific disease state and, um, and, and help us to understand what more they can do um, to, to, get, to get patients the, the care that they need? Well, as pharmacists, we are we're on the we're on the front line. We are the most accessible provider that our patients have, and our 
Um, clinical expansion is absolutely essential. We've already seen it over this last year with COVID vaccines and COVID testing that with, without the mobilization of community pharmacies to provide COVID vaccines, we would not be close to the number of people that have been vaccinated for COVID than, than we are. Um, we traditionally have been a resource that's been overlooked but I think the time isn't changing. The time has changed. Pharmacists are, pharmacists are critical healthcare providers. We are like practicing at the top of our, our game, at the top of our professions and providing these clinical services to, to patients is absolutely essential. Um, in California, pharmacists are able to provide like all these vaccines and immunizations to our patients. And when we sit down and we having these clinical conversations with patients or reviewing their meds, um, you know, I, I've got this trained in, in my mind already with all these infectious diseases and everything. So I ask questions about all infectious diseases, STIs and all these kind of things when I sit down and talk with patients, but we, we can just learn and train ourselves to ask these questions and have these vaccine question, you know, conversations with our patients, um, not only for the flu vaccine or the pneumovax vaccine, but things like hepatitis B, hepatitis A um, with our patients. And we, we are really the one healthcare professional that, that can dial this in and take care of it for our patients. There's so many provider offices that, recommend their patients to go to the pharmacy to get their vaccines. They're not even doing the vaccines in many doctor's offices. The patients have to go to the pharmacy anyway. So we're, we're primed. And, um, you know, to all my colleagues out there, if you're not comfortable having some sensitive conversations and things, learn about, learn about it, read about it, and see if you can expand your comfort zone to be able to have those conversations. You know, another thing you um, alluded to, Todd, was um, in these pharmacy deserts that we have and in rural areas, I people living in rural areas don't have the number of pharmacies that we have in these big metropolitan cities or have the access that so many people in big cities have. And I think we have to focus on rural communities, just like we do in all these other cities. I mean, I'm of the belief that every single person living in the United States should have equal access to equal healthcare across the board. And that's how we're gonna make our society the healthiest society. My motto always is a, healthy, a wealthy society is a healthy society. Agreed. Agreed. I want to thank uh, Catherine Stevenson for being our special uh, guest today um, with Dynavax Technologies. There will be um, links to Catherine's uh, LinkedIn as well as Michelle Sherman's uh, podcast and LinkedIn. I want to thank Michelle for co-hosting this and, and driving us through this very important topic and all the, th the work that you do, Michelle, for the network as well as advocating for pharmacists. Um, and, and what you're doing for our industry, uh, Michelle, you know, we love you. Thanks, Todd. It was my pleasure. Nice meeting you, Catherine. Yes, thanks so much, Todd. And my pleasure meeting both of you.
Absolutely. If you're listening, you want more information, please look at the show notes. You can find more information on Dynavax at Dynavax.com. That's D-Y-N-A-V-A-X.com. And once again, we'll have a link in the show notes. And we thank you, pharmacists, for everything that you're doing on the front line. We know that some of you are feeling um, a ton of pressure to keep up with metrics and flu season being among us and everything that you're doing as pharmacists. Know that we are here for you. If there's anything that we can do as a network for you, please reach out to one of our 45 plus um, pharmacy uh, podcasters that are here. And uh, you can find all of our information at pharmacypodcast.com. And with that, we thank you so much for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation.